As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Joined this morning by Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you both. Um, uh, you know what? Before we are obviously going to talk about the fact that Arsenal drew 2-2 with Fulham uh, and uh, Twitter lost its mind, as Arsenal fans are want to do when anything doesn't go quite the way we want them to. Before we do that, we all know that Bukayo Saka has now appeared in each of Arsenal's last 83 matches. The longest outright run of any player for the club uh, in the competition going clear of Paul Merson. Well, we talked about this the other day. Um... We were thinking about longest Arsenal stints, really. I don't have a stint as such, but I did go to a lot of games one season, but we'll get to that. Um, Adrian, you played for the club. Do you want to do your longest Arsenal stint <laughs> in terms of playing games or is it in terms of going into Arsenal? I mean, I mean, you were you were there every day for a couple of years, <laughs> wouldn't you? Let's be fair. Yeah, 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 I guess I've put in a fair stint if you count in training sessions. You did. And definitely reserve games. Goodness me. I, w- I kind of was the Bako Saka of the Rezies for a number of seasons. Um, I was very lucky with injuries, so I didn't miss too many games. And yeah, I did feature. I, I probably put together, I don't know, 30, 40 consecutive reserve games. But but in first team, four, which I think is OK. You know, four, yeah, run of four in the in the Premier League back in 95, 96. Then I had a little spell on the side and then come back in and had a little run of three. So um, that's, that's as far as I got. So I'm yeah. full of admiration you know for what? young Bukayo. Do you know what, Adrian? I have to say, I mean, four is is four more than almost anyone I know <laughs> did, all right? And and I, you sent it in a slightly... I'd take ap- four seconds. <laughs> I know, exactly. You sent it in a slightly apologetic way, but you shouldn't really. You play for the Arsenal and, and obviously it, it didn't quite work out uh, the way you would have mm. wanted it to, but but uh, uh, it was, you know, in, in awe of anyone who played for the Arsenal, genuinely. That was very, very lucky. Yeah, it was fantastic. Loved it. Absolutely. Uh, Amy, of course, uh, you watched uh, uh, the team for entire seasons (laughs) uh, and and continue to do so. What's your longest stint? 
Well, I, I, I can't put a finite sort of 49 undefeated or whatever it might be um, on it because I, I, I don't remember counting exactly how many before or after. But I, when I was growing up, I always had this dream that I would do a complete season home and away, which uh, I did in 1990-91 season, which was a really good season <laughs> to do it because, uh, yeah, Arsenal won the title. And uh, included a, a brief sojourn into Europe, so I managed to get out to Vienna and um, Lisbon as well to see uh, what was a very exciting game in Benfica. But yeah, that was uh, that was my kind of highlight in terms of attendance. So um, uh, unfortunately, it's pretty hard to be doing that kind of thing nowadays. Um, getting tickets is. <laughs> Is not easy for anyone, so uh, I, I would highly commend anyone who. And it's also a heck of a lot more expensive, obviously. There's a guy I read about a guy, a Birmingham fan who's been who's seen every game since 1974. Uh, uh, it's absolutely incredible that sort of stuff. Uh, and and also there must come a point where it, you can't miss a game really because you've gone as far as you have, and it becomes a bit pressurised. I, wa- I wonder what the most offensive things are that you've done. In that case, to to other people to attend a game, oh. i.e., not go oh. to a best friend's <laughs> wedding or not go to your mum's 80th birthday or yeah. birth of a child or anyone. I don't know. Missed there, a there must, yeah, funerals. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Um, tricky one to, to talk your way out of. <laughs> well, no, if it was a funeral of a fellow Arsenal fan, it, it's what they would have wanted, one would hope, really. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's not good. I mean, I know I went, well, in the 1979-80 season, I saw 65 out of 69. Wow, that's that's pretty massive. It, it was. It, there, there, was a, there were a couple of gaps and I missed the away trip, uh, the away trips at the end to Wolves and Middlesbrough. I just couldn't. I couldn't face it. I absolutely, I absolutely couldn't face it after losing seen two enough. cup finals in four days. I had actually seen enough. I was broken. I mean, however bad the players were, let me tell you, we were in a bit of a mess as well. Uh, that I think. I think that season would have included a stint of maybe fifty in a row. That would probably been the most. Uh, and obviously, home games. I mean, every every game for years, uh, for a long time, really. I never never missed a home game. And um, sod the family. No funerals, Massive props to Bukayo. Well, quite, quite. Absolutely amazing stuff. Beating Mercer's record. And long may that continue, by the way. Uh, 83 and counting. Arsenal 2, Fulham 2. Adrian. We were so cocky, weren't we, at the weekend? All of us, right? Uh, or Thursday, whatever it was. And um, what did Jordan say on here? I don't foresee many problems. He said, uh, <laughs> didn't foresee hard enough, did he, really? I mean, you can't account for giving two goals away like that, can you? Two absolute gifts. That That's what drove me mad on the day. Because... I didn't think for, for for all of the criticism around the the team selection, and I think that that was warranted in some degree. And I think if Mikel Arteta had had another go at it, he would have started in, in a different way with different players, probably. But the bottom line is, we still had eleven shots on target. We still dominated the game. We created more than XG enough. XG of three point three, three point three. Yeah, which is very very high, uh, and we gifted them to. Really stupid goals, and um, yeah, the one, the one, obviously inside a minute was was down to the way that we play. It was, it was down to that fluid back four where 
Thomas Partey drops in as a centre-back. Ben White moves to right-back and we build from there. And then, of course, when the ball's going to Saka, Thomas has jumped into midfield. Now, I don't know why he jumped into midfield. It was just obviously something instinctive on his part. And it left that big hole and, and Bakayo didn't didn't see that he'd moved and and the rest is history. So yeah, that, that goal was a concession born out of the new tactical approach. No doubt about that. And and it was about teething problems. But we'll just have to learn from it, won't we? And, and look, the corner. The corner was just we, we were statues at that corner. Um I didn't love love the way that we allowed two players to attack the ball on the penalty spot and and they punished us for it. So yeah, well done Fulham, but no one can tell me that we were shocking in the game. We weren't shocking. We had we had plenty of good stuff. But um but yeah, it was criminal to, to drop points against ten men, wasn't it? Really bad. It was. It was going two one up. Amy, these starts, we keep conceding goals now in the first minute. I mean Bournemouth we know and Southampton got away with it against Bournemouth. Southampton we blew it. Uh again it cost us uh, on Saturday. Um, I mean, I don't. I'm not quite sure what to ask here, really. But why? I, I'm going to <laughs> ask enough. you. Why do we keep doing this, Amy? Tell us why we keep doing this. Well, I don't know, but I think of more concern is not, not why do we keep doing this, but I don't see anyone else doing it. It's not like it's something that happens once in a while in football to anyone. You know, it can happen. It just doesn't happen very often. And whenever it does happen, it seems to be Arsenal. So there, there appears to be something about the kind of either uh, psychological or physical setup or tactical setup at the beginning of a match. I mean, we, we went through a phase where we were starting games really fiery and fast. And, you know, it, it generally served Arsenal pretty well. They had a a, a a quite long period with scoring a lot of early goals, which was very helpful while the team was evolving. And I wonder whether it's a kind of, it's the yin and the yang of that, maybe, that if you've got it in your kind of psyche that you're just going to go out and go for it, um, that they're perhaps not playing quite as much attention as you should be to if the other team do exactly the same thing. But yeah, it's... It, it's obviously unhelpful, but I just find myself wondering, I mean, it's such a peculiar feeling around the club this year compared to last year. And I think there was that energy that came from this really unexpected high that everybody jumped on straight away last year. And it gave a lot of wind in the sails to the yeah, players, to the manager, to, to, to the supporters, everybody. And yet this time around, what's interesting is I, I think... Arteta quite rightly took stock at the end of the season and thought uh, some things need to change to get better and to eliminate the things that weren't good enough last year. Now, part of that is personnel and part of that is strategic. But I think when you're changing things, there is an extended risk element when you're changing quite a lot of things at the same time. And to me, if I was to choose one word to kind of sum up Arsenal what what came into my mind during that first half against Fulham was incoherent. And I think it all looked a bit incoherent because there's lots of people doing slightly different things than what they were doing last year. And, you know, if you're going to try and integrate someone like Havertz, who's so different to Granite Xhaka, who was so much part of the furniture and so strong mentally, and you're putting in a component that is 
maybe not as confident, let's just say, <laughs> putting it kindly and finding his feet. That's that's just an adjustment that affects not just him, but the people all around him that would have been interacting with Granite and they're now interacting with somebody else and the way that he moves and thinks. At the same time, to adjust the back end of the team where, you know, I know a lot of people have said, oh, it's exactly the same as when Zinchenko played the hybrid role with Thomas, but it's it's not exactly the same. Uh, it's, at least it doesn't see, feel that way at all to me. And I, I just, I, I um, was in the North Bank. Uh, my view is, of you know, the defence was right in front of us for the first half against Fulham. Sorry, this is a really long answer. I've covered like 20 million stream of consciousness <laughs> thoughts. But it struck me that the gaps between the three centre-halves were huge as a default position. There's Saliba, who's kind of at the base, bang in the middle. Ben White was almost in a right-back's position, slightly ahead and quite far towards the right flank. And Kivio the same on the other side. And I think that affects everybody. And it really affects Saliba, who's used to having his buddy next to him, where they had a good relationship, and having defenders quite close to you on either side. And at the moment, he's got these huge spaces, and that's what's being exploited, and that's where the front ends up going to cause the damage. Well, Amy, you've raised 14 interesting points there, I think. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I need I need an inbuilt cut button. Never had one. Look, we'll talk about some of those things, but Adrian, this this... This trying different things, mm. right? We've had various people. Uh, we had uh, we got a letter actually. Um, Philip Greenstreet, um, greetings from Philadelphia. Tough one on Saturday. Regard it regarding Partey playing inverted. I've been much less bullish on this formation and prospect than the members of the pod seemingly are. Leaving aside what we saw this weekend, where one rogue pass can devastate us, I don't even particularly like the formation when we attack. Well, that's a slightly different thing, but. He's talking about the tinkering, uh, really, the Arteta, Arteta trying different things. Adrian, this changing that Mikel Arteta's trying to do, changing the formation, um, he has to do it a little bit, doesn't he? We got, it's not that we were stale at the end of last season, but people sussed us out a little bit. And I obviously, he looked at that. We said he took stock at the end of last season and he went, well, okay, this worked, this didn't. We have to make these changes. I know that when you do stand-up comedy, you do gig sometimes when you're trying new material and the gig doesn't go quite as well as you would like, but it lays in really good foundations for later on when you've got new stuff. And that seems to be what they're doing here. The obvious difference, of course, is that we dropped two points, but we shouldn't have done. So... I have to say, I'm not being bullish, but I approve of him trying things early in the season. Yeah, I, I think you've put it across really well, actually. I think that's that, that that's how how I see it as well. Um, I also think he saw it as a block of games, a block of three games at the start of the season that were very winnable, and that he felt yeah. that he could try this more. I suppose it is a more attack-minded formation. It regarded Havertz and Erdegaard very very high up, and and obviously Partey coming into midfield. And, and yeah, he, he thought, I think, that we can still get nine points while we while we experiment. And we should have had nine points. We've, we've talked yes, about exactly. the, the concessions. So, yeah, I think, I think another factor of that was Zinchenko's unavailability. And I think that that made him think, well, I want an inverted um, fullback and, and Partey is the best man for the job. So what we're going to do is is shift it to the other side. And, and now that Zinchenko's fully fit... 
or I, I hope he is, then then maybe we might see a reversion back to back to something that was more like last season at times. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I, there are pros and cons to it. There are pros and cons because I, I've liked a lot of what I've seen. Um, but there's a lot of stuff I haven't liked as well. I think that it exposes Declan Rice a little bit. It's, it's, it, we're asking an awful lot of him in central midfield with with you know Havertz and, and Odegaard so high. But the biggest downer for me, and I think this is something that, that I would imagine most listeners will share this view, is the chemistry. And you, you touched on, you used the word incoherent, didn't you? It, it's yeah. the chemistry was so special last year. And the, the, we've got different partnerships all over the pitch at the moment. And it's good to move. You can't stand still. It's about building new chemistry and new relationships, isn't it? Um, but at the moment, that, that, yeah, that chemistry isn't there at the moment. I miss White and Saka's combos with Martin Odegaard. You know, things like that. It's, it, it's just different. And Philip, by the way, in, he finished the letter with that. Sorry, Amy. Philip finished the letter by talking about White and Saka, and he thinks that Saka feels a bit isolated. And we have talked about this. Uh, thank you for the uh, the the email, by the way, Philip. We really appreciate it. Go on, Amy. I was just going to say that I think it's um, I'm not at all against experimenting or um, trying new things and it needing time. But it just felt to me like maybe with a bit more caution, you just do try one thing at a time. And the rest could be on the training ground. Like if if Arsenal had kept their more authentic defence from last season with Gabriel, say, I don't think they'd have been conceding some of these goals, quite possibly. And then, you know, you're trying to create the new chemistry with Rice and Havertz up there. Uh, or you're maybe having Havertz come on as a from the bench um, and work his way in to finding his rhythm in this team. And keeping some of the forward players who have got inbuilt chemistry while re, you know reshuffling a bit at the back, yeah. but I think to do the two things at the same time, and let's be honest here, conceivably a third coming if the goalkeeper changes, which some people think is possibly going to happen sooner rather than later. That's going to be another new set of relationships and another department of the team potentially where. It, it, you know, there's something new going on. So it just feels like an interesting, of course, it's so results orientated and everyone reacts accordingly, but it, it is a brave thing to try and make a lot of change uh, to a team that seemed to be onto a good thing for, you know, 85, 90% of last season. Quite. Rather than tweak a bit more, a bit more sort of slowly and surely. Again, we should have won. I mean, we should yeah. have won. And they, I mean, even even with the giveaway for the first goal, he got lucky. He was trying to chip the goalkeeper and he, <laughs> and it turns out he just passed it past I mean, it looked uh, genius, didn't uh, it? Rambo. A very quick one on, on Saka. I think a lot of this is designed, and, and in the, on the first weekend of the season, it worked beautifully in terms of creating this avenue where we could play passes to Bako Saka earlier, where he had time to, to receive it, turn and run at his man. Get one on one. I think I think that side of it has worked well to a degree because we have given him opportunities to run at defenders for fun across the opening three games, and I think he's done it very well. I think in that game he had against Fulham he had six successful dribbles. But what I think was the problem, particularly in the first half, was everything was funneled wide, but we were asking Saka and Martinelli to basically do it on their own. We, the, the combination play wasn't wasn't there. They were the triangles that we we see 
so often last season that we saw so often last season just weren't there. It was give it to Bakayo and, 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 and Gabriel Martinelli and, and let's hope that they that they can deliver something. I think we're better when we're creating those little combos and, and triangles. And, and that's what we saw with Vieira when he came on. Suddenly he, he was operating much closer to Martinelli and, and it worked beautifully. Yeah, Fabio Vieira. Um, Amy, me and you spoke just before we uh, came on air and you were talking about how uh, the, the overreaction of Arsenal fans, <laughs> that Fabio Vieira, he's not doing anything, he's not doing anything. He comes on, changes the game and he did change the game. He looked really good, really pumped up and suddenly, oh my God, he's a god, right? Now, <laughs> neither of these things are true, right? He's neither a god nor is he the worst player we've ever bought. <laughs> I think that, that, uh, that title this week goes to Kai Havertz, but obviously that will change as well. Um, it, we did see, though, a little bit of what Fabio Vieira can bring to the team, didn't we, at the weekend? And and uh, uh, they've had a lot of faith in him, Amy, the management, and, and maybe we're going to start to see it this season. I think you did say at the start of the year this could be a big year for him. Yeah, well, the the Arteta and Edu and all those guys behind the scenes have been sort of very clear fans of Vieira um, since he joined the club, and obviously it wasn't the easiest sort of transition season for him. I think because he is quite slight, it's very easy to draw the conclusion that he's not going to be cut out for the Premier League. But I think what you've seen is a, is a player who has had that shift of mindset. I remember talking to Freddie Jungberg uh, 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 quite a while ago. When he first came to Arsenal, uh, he was probably a similar age and a similar sort of profile. He was already quite well regarded in his home country. I think he was about 20. He was a you know starter and had had a couple of really good seasons for his club in the national team. And uh, uh, he arrived at Arsenal and in his first season, he'd been a number 10 all his life and Arsene said I want you on the wing and he wasn't enjoying it and he didn't really like it he didn't really get it and I think he sat down with his agent at the end of the first season in the summer and said I'm just not sure and you know there was a a, a possibility of of that whole thing where he ended up being one of the great icons of the club never really happening he said he had this almost moment's realisation, like a, a kind of eureka moment, like I have not come to Arsenal to not be good enough. I have not come to Arsenal to just chuck it in because I found it quite difficult and I haven't quite fitted in in the first season and I don't feel that comfortable. I haven't shown what I can do properly. I have come to Arsenal to make my mark. And he went off with a completely different mindset into the second season and the rest is history. And I have no idea, this is pure speculation, whether the same thing happened to Fabio Vieira. There's obviously a lot of communication that goes on between uh, Mikel, the coaching staff, Carlos Cuesta, who's very involved in this kind of thing. But he looked mentally, never mind physically, like a, a, a refreshed, renewed player when he came on. He looked hungry. He looked like he believed in himself. He looked like he backed himself to do clever things, try things take people on sometimes at the start you just need a bit of time before you feel confident enough to do that stuff because you don't want to make a mistake and then you have to completely flip your um what you're feeling on your head because you have to think oh, this is going to work and I'm going to try it 
And it looks like it's a very small sample size. We're talking about, what, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour against uh, against Fulham. But he he made a huge impact on the game. And, um, you know, I think it wouldn't have been hard to imagine that burst in the box. He'd have been shoved off the ball too easily maybe last season. But he he had that little bit extra to to make sure that it was a, a pen, for example, and and also just doing things a bit more quickly. I feel feels like the team is a bit tentative at the moment. You talk about chemistry, Adrian. Mm. So many times I, I felt like I was watching someone on the ball and they were just taking that extra half a beat mm. before doing the next action, that extra split second. Things were not as instinctive, and you need to be fast in this game, particularly in the in the prem. You need to be fast with your mind as well as fast with your feet and be anticipating and executing things. And you need to be bold, Amy. Yeah. And and the, the, But boldness yeah. c- comes in different ways. You've just described boldness really in, in, in the way that you, that you talked about Vieira and his attitude. And, and boldness sometimes is just making a run, just making a forward run in the hope that you get it. And he got it and, it, and he made something happen with that penalty. And, and obviously the cross, for, the cross for the second was great. Yeah, I thought it was a superb, absolutely superb, um, substitute appearance and um, yeah I've been critical of Vieira until this point I think we all have justifiably so but this was a big old step forward I think for him it also helps I've got to say this when um, you can see a spot up for grabs and with Kai Havertz looking short of confidence the crowd a little bit on his back not delivering you know we have to say that about Kai Havertz he's not delivered so far it's a great, it's a golden opportunity coming on for him in that position to say, look, look at me. I I am better suited to this position than, than that guy. And and you, I think you saw that in, in everything that Vieira did in the game. That was his moment to, to show I'm ready. I can play this role. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, Kaya Patel wrote to us uh, uh, basically saying exactly that the love for Fabio Vieira and how passionate he was and, and what Amy had said about it could be his time to shine. Uh, so I think we have uh, uh, covered that. And I think it's in, it does lead on, thanks, Kaya, for the email. I think it does lead on uh, to Kai Havertz, who really, it seems to me, Adrian, is in a similar position uh, now to how Fabio Vieira was last year. But he's getting more time to try and prove himself, isn't he? Uh, obviously, the management believe in him. Um, do you think the crowd, I mean, we've talked about this already yeah, on the yeah. pod, do you think the crowd have basically been a bit quick to get on his back? And Because one of the things you said there was it could just be something like making a run. You were talking about being bold and making a run. And one of the things Mikel Arteta said was he got into lots of good positions, just didn't get the ball. So he is trying stuff. He's just not receiving the ball. He needs a goal, I think, and, and hopefully things will kick on. Yeah, he just, yeah, he does need a goal. He is making a lot of runs. Maybe not the right runs. If it's the right run, you'd like to think that the players will will pick out that player. He's just half a yard off, isn't he, or a yard off when the balls come into the box. He, he he's making the runs, but he's just not quite getting there in time. We've seen it on numerous occasions already this season. I think he's just been playing tentatively and yeah. with a little bit of a lack of confidence. That that moment that really summed it up was when a ball gets fed into him. He's got space. He's got about. 15 yards in front of him, 15 yards behind him to just receive the ball and turn. And he, and he played a one-touch pass backwards and gave the ball away. And that that was 
that was the act, I guess, of a player that's that's not feeling completely confident um, at the moment. I th- I think I don't think he'll start against Manchester United. I think that that a change could be made there. Um, I think you have to you have to sometimes take someone out and and and, and get that hunger and fire back in them to to impress and, and maybe him off the bench against Manchester United might be better. I can see. Uh, Zinchenko maybe being the inverted fullback, Gabriel coming back in, um, Thomas Partey being at the base, and maybe Declan Rice playing in that position against Manchester United on the left side of a three. I think that that that's how I would go about it um, next weekend because we're playing a, a team that's got very very dangerous players, and yeah, I think I think we might have to be a little bit more pragmatic there. I just wonder if there's a possibility. You, you I, I like the way you you predicted that he wouldn't start against Man United and straight away in my mind like the kind of bad angel on the shoulder is kind of (laughs) scratching away at that idea and saying isn't there a kind of possibility of like Willian syndrome going on here like when the manager gets a player in that they have put a lot of story in that they believe in and that they really want for you know push for and wanted that you almost belligerently say I'm right you're wrong (laughs) I'm going to keep picking him. And obviously, with Willian, that, that was not pleasant for anyone, really, uh, no. when he first came. And people couldn't believe he kept getting selected. So it's going to be very interesting to see what way the manager goes <laughs> on, on that selection this weekend. But also, I do think, just talking about the crowd generally, it's... I feel a bit bad saying it because, it, you know, I wish it wasn't so, but I think it is. And I... I suspect just a lot of it is to do with the associations with an ex-Chelsea player and the fact that more often than not, that hasn't been a great move from Arsenal's perspective. And I think if Kai Havertz had come from another club, particularly one in Europe, I suspect everybody would be giving him a little bit more slack than they are. Really? I mean, Jorginho was pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, we all enjoyed watching Jorginho. Yeah, but Jorginho came in straight away and, and did some really good things. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Obviously, particularly that game at Aston Villa, I think, gave him a kind of cult status figure really early on. But if you think about, you know, multiple other examples that have come across in that direction, going back to Galas, uh, David Luiz, Petr Cech, um, Willian, none of whom were anywhere near as good as their Chelsea uh, levels when they were at Arsenal. It, it, you know, there is a nervousness maybe and a bit of kind of twitchy feeling where it's slightly harder to, you know, to just feel relaxed about the whole thing. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can't, it, it, when you talk about fan reaction, you can never speculate about how, 60,000 people in the ground and hundreds of thousands of people around the world are feeling because it's, it's a broad brush out there. But it is. I just it's possible that that's a factor. The longer it goes on without him contributing a goal, a piece of an outrageous piece of skill, you know, a brilliant assist, then yeah, the, 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 the more this is going to crank up, isn't it? So it could be, it could, you could be right. Mikel might be really stubborn here, and um, you know, and stick with him. But I think on if you're picking players on form at the moment, you'd, you'd probably sit him out for, for for Man United. While we're on the subject, sorry, I mean, of players on form, um, why didn't Eddie and Ketia start uh, at the weekend? 
Um, I mean, do either of you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I mean, especially with strikers. Uh, Adrian, you are shaking your head there. Eddie, Eddie has done so much. Mikel Arteta has talked about him being uh, brilliant in training and basically saying, you can't leave me out. I mean, listen, I have nothing but admiration for Leandro Trossard and how he's done, but... Eddie's the man at the moment, and I, I, I was surprised that he didn't start. Yeah, I, I was, I was shocked. I think I said, on maybe it was on this podcast. Well, Eddie's starting Saturday <laughs> because because he had a good game and he, he he won us that match really through his through his movement for that penalty. He had all the big chances, and he looked sharp and hungry. And I would definitely have picked him. So I, I was surprised. I, I sort of on the breakdown live, we had to react to it instantly when the team news came out and and the the way I looked at it was was that I would have gone for him but sometimes it's good to rotate strikers was the argument that I used because I think it's such an explosive position that that I don't mind a bit of rotation at the top end of the pitch because we are so much of the front men and that might have been in the thinking I don't know but but what what I saw with my eyes was Trossard just not having any presence down the, down the central spine of the field there was just none um, I can't remember a time where we fed a pass into the centre forward down the central spine of the field where he linked play, brought others into it. Um, everything was funnelled wide. We had we had zero presence there and Eddie changed it instantly. And all of a sudden we, we, we had someone that occupied the centre halves and, and brought other players into the game. It was... It was chalk and cheese. It, it was a great decision by Mikel to put him on at half-time. I said in the half-time show... Eddie Nketiah has to come on. I would make the change at halftime, but we it might be 10 minutes into the second half. So I love the fact that Mikel, you know, recognised maybe the error and, and corrected it. <laughs> and listened to you. Because <laughs> no. they got the show, I think, piped into the dressing room, as far as I understand it. And No, no, but you're absolutely right. Amy, do you have anything to add to that particularly? Oh, I just thought Eddie was outstanding. It was really yeah. uh, a joy to watch him. His uh, And literally from the second he ran on the pitch, you know, there was a different presence in Arsenal's attack and his energy and his desire. Um, he was a proper nuisance to Fulham's defenders. And I think that he just felt so much better watching the team trying to build around this pivot that had had a kind of bustle that was busy and, and uh, determined and that and and I, it felt like Trossard was just trying to sort of play pretty football more, you know, um, just in a different spot, and not getting a lot of joy in that area of the pitch. But you know, Eddie's kind of striker's instinct. You know, Eddie is a is a goal scorer. We all know that, and he's tried to add to his game so that he can maximise his opportunities. Trossard, I don't think. <sighs> necessarily you know ever was a striker striker in that in that sense so I think just even in his mind having Eddie up there I love the fact that he came on and was like right I'm I'm bossing this I'm changing it around and and actually it was fantastic when he's in the, in the crowd when he scored that second goal you know to get the two goals close together it was one of those where you're coming from behind you've made a balls up team's not playing great and everyone's feeling a bit desperate. And uh, even the penalty was was interesting from a kind of observational point of view because you think Mart Martinelli's going to take it. And um, Declan Rice went 
sprinting off to the dugout as soon as the penalty was given and was obviously asking who should take the penalty and then sprinted back and presumably passed on the message that it was Bakayo and then it was Bakayo and then they put the ball down and then the ref was fannying around and everyone was getting annoyed and players were trying to come in and put him off and having missed a few pens I was at well uh, and having not taken the last pen I was slightly eek about the whole thing but it was a fantastic fantastic penalty it was a good pen you know to take all your nerves and then you release it and then a second later you think you're going to get another pen and it's not given and then the ball goes across and bam it was I think what they call proper limbs if you're (laughs) decades younger than us Um, one one touch finish was really fun and I think yeah, it was lovely. And I think at that point, it just didn't seem remotely possible that Arsenal weren't going to win the game. In fact, it felt more likely that they should go and score a couple more goals. So I think that's why there's this sort of, it feels very, very tender to then have to be looking at the result. Well, look, that that uh, confidence that Bukayo Saka uh, showed when he took that penalty uh, is one of the reasons that he's played uh, 83 matches uh, in a row in the Premier League. And we'll talk about that uh, after the break. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Hello there. Just to let you know that there's a brand new edition of the Totally Football Show out right now with all our thoughts on the big bits of round three of the Premier League season. All sorts of drama from Friday night's Chelsea Luton to the extraordinary events at St James's Park, all filtered through the unparalleled football minds of John McKenzie, Daniel Storey and Tim Spears. That's the Totally Football Show, out now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark here on Handbrake Off, the Athletics Arsenal podcast. Um, 83 games for Bukayo Saka. Um, Adrian, uh, we won't talk about him too much. We all know he's a superstar. He's mm. absolutely amazing. But, but and, and like I say, it could end up 583. I mean, the guy is, is incredible. Um, but the mentality of him... You know, Amy just was talking about that penalty, uh, how long he had to wait. Um, I mean, there are a thousand examples already, aren't there, of Bukayo Saka. And I, I mean, I, I'm in awe of the guy. He's 21, whatever, 22, whatever he is, right? He's a, he's a kid, but he, his achievements and the way that he holds himself and the way that he is, the way he, uh, it, how much love there is for him, um, 
and, and that mentality of his is incredibly strong, and uh, and I think that's really one of the main reasons that he's uh, he's become the player that he has. Completely, there's not much to add beyond that. Really, I think I think he is he is mentally unbelievable because um, you forget how young he is. I think he also knows that he's a really good player, and and when you've contributed so many good moments, so much great stuff. It, it makes you feel like this is my pitch, this is my team, I am, I'm a go-to guy. And when you feel like you are the go-to guy of your team, it does give you that that extra um, belief. And that's part, that's a big part, of course, of of having a strong mentality. That what separates him from um, a lot of us, probably myself included, is when he has a setback, he doesn't. He is able to park it and make sure that it it doesn't derail him. And and he had a setback in this game with with that loose pass a minute in. in the first and minute. he didn't hide, did he? He didn't hide. You know, the, the certain players would then start to feel a bit edgy, but he, he takes the opposite approach. And and what I liked here in this game from him was that he, he, I think he had the third highest number of touches of all the Arsenal players. Now for a winger to have the third highest number of touches is massively positive. It really is. So, um, and it shows you his desire to to say to the others, "Give it to me, I want it." Um, so yeah, yeah, it was it was a great pen as well because he had to he had to wait a long time, and I was I, yeah I was much more nervous than he was. I suspect. <laughs> I think every one of us was more nervous than he was, uh, Amy. I mean, is there anything really to add about Bukayo Saka? We, like I say, we talk a lot about what a superstar he is. You were the one who talked to me about his mentality. It's it's just, um, it's awe-inspiring, isn't it, really? Well, again, when you compare what he's achieving to others, I don't think there are that many players in the upper, upper echelons of world football who are playing that many games in a row without... Uh, without a break, particularly attacking players. And I think... Yeah, getting kicked just, as much as him. It, absolutely. And and I, I remember when it, he was quite early on into this run when um, Mikel almost challenged him by bringing up, essentially, the, summoning the likes of Ronaldo and, and Messi and so on and saying the top players, they are knocking on... You know, they want to play game after game after game after game after game. You don't see them being rotated and sitting it out. And that's the bar for the best players to aim for. And Bakayo's probably in a league of his own, really, in, in the Arsenal team, in being capable of of producing that kind of a high level and impacting games and being physically strong enough to keep getting back up and keep going with intensity game after game after game. It's pretty remarkable in the modern era where there is rotation, um, suspensions, injuries and so on, to have forward players who are guaranteed to, to start forever. How, how many of those 83 games was Saka below a 7 out of 10? How many of them was he a 5 out of 10? Because we, we all have stinkers. Um, we all have games where we're quiet or things don't come off for us and it's you, you get hooked and then you sit the next game out. It, it happens to wing us all of the time. I know this from painful experience. But, but Bakayo... I can't really remember too many bad games, but the reason he stayed in the team is that he, he never has two or three bad games together. 
he'll always deliver something. And that's the reason he keeps getting getting picked. I think it's remarkable. Kai Havertz has had three Premier League games for Arsenal. We're talking about maybe changing him out. You know, that's not that unusual. Players come in and out of teams, but not him. Not Bukayo. I mean, his, his, uh, his pal, uh, part, you know, in the same song, Emil Smith Rowe, it hasn't gone so well for him in the last uh, few, in the last season. Uh, Martin uh, Kreiniak, I'm trying to uh, pronounce that correctly. Martin Kreiniak wrote to us uh, from Slovakia. Would you mind spending a minute or two on Emil Smith Rowe? I'm a bit worried about his future in Arsenal. He's a great player and obviously does, but obviously does not have a future under Mikel Arteta. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd say. Uh, Adrian, that he doesn't have a future because he persuaded him to stay, didn't he? But he wants him to adapt to a different role. It just feels like he's a little bit far down the pecking order at the moment, but we'd all love him to come in the team because we know, look, goals from midfield are massive and he can get them for us. 100%, yeah. I, I think he's still got a future, but it, it's he is down the pecking order and it's not easy, is it, to change a manager's mind sometimes? Um, with Eddie, Eddie's done it though. Eddie was someone that was really that the manager didn't want to pick. It's true, you know, a while back, and he's won him over, and and that's just what Emil Smith Rowe has to has to do. He's up against some stiff competition, of course, and and I, th- I think there's just Premier that Premier League and it's Arsenal. Where, yeah, exactly. You know, of course, he's going to be up against stiff opposition. Where would you put him in? That that's the that's the the thing. I, I think that left side attack in central midfield berth is is kind of up for grabs, but you you wouldn't have him ahead of Martinelli as a left winger, even though he he could do that job. Um, Martin Odegaard as the captain, that position is maybe the one where he he's understudied too, I guess. But but Martin, a little bit like Bakayo Saka, is consistent and and plays pretty much every week. And then you're not going to have him on the right wing instead of Bakayo, so it's it is a real tough situation for him. Yeah, he's, he's just got to win him over, like Eddie has, and and that means being the biz in training all the time. I think it's tough for him not getting minutes. I mean, we talked about uh, Vieira sort of seizing that opportunity um, to come on and say, right, okay, Havertz is struggling. I'm I'm going to make my <laughs> my case here, and I'm sure that Emil must have been having a similar thought, thinking, oh. I don't, you know, I wouldn't have minded half an hour to try and make an impact on this game. And we all know that Emil is perfectly capable of scoring and assisting at quite a, a fantastic rate when he's uh, confident and on form, because we've seen it and it's tremendously exciting. Going for him, he, you know, he can play in a lot of those positions you mentioned, Adrian, but he just needs to get bits and bobs mm. of games and not feel like he's turning up to sit on the bench and probably won't. Get on, he's, yeah. yeah he's, he's, a lot of games to play. A lot of games, cup games to play. Cup games to play. He, he yeah. he's just got to be brilliant in the league cup when he plays, and uh, yeah, demand that he gets selected more often. That's you know, simple as that, it's, really. It's a long, it's a long season, and things can really change. One person uh, who won't be getting any games because uh, he's gone off to Real Sociedad on loan uh, is Kieran Tierney. I mean, I've just. And this is, by the way, the last time I mentioned this because I have been getting some stick on Twitter for going on about the Edinburgh Festival, but I have been <laughs> in Scotland for a month and I have been talking to quite a lot of Scottish people about uh, Kieran Tierney and uh, being slightly apologetic to my Celtic fan mates uh, for how it worked out for him. Um, 
I mean, when he came in, we were absolutely, we were so delighted, weren't we? And it didn't, or hasn't so far quite worked out for him. Um, I'm glad he's getting games, Amy, right? You know, I mean, that's the main thing. I'm also glad, by the way, he hasn't gotten to Newcastle because I'm starting to develop quite an irrational hatred for them. Not sure how uh, irrational uh, it is, uh, but anyway. Particularly their assistant manager, by the way. <laughs> no, you're right. It isn't, irras- it isn't irrational, by the way. But because um, they are definitely a coming force. And so I, I think it's important to uh, get it in as soon as possible. But... Um, yeah, I mean, we wish him all the best, right? And hopefully he has a great season and comes back fired up and we'll see what happens. I'm really happy for him. He needs to go and play and he's going to a lovely place to go and play. I'm really yes. unhappy for us because uh, I think as fans, a lot of uh, a lot of people were very fond of Kieran and what he brought to the team that was something different. And I think he still could bring something different if that was uh, in the vision. But I'm all for having variety and different things that you can try for different times. But... Yeah, Mikel's decision is Mikel's decision. Um, uh, I'm a little bit just sort of gutted that it didn't quite work out because he, you know, it's hard not to like Kieran Tierney and, and, and root for him. Uh, I'm also slightly disappointed that if he was going to go, that there wasn't a um, a proper buyer with proper money because if it's time to move on, it's time to move on, and uh, it's. I think probably to the real frustration of the hierarchy that they haven't managed to cut uh, a deal that's made them some good cash. But just goes to see so many things on the internet where people are trying to kind of add these valuations together of players or should be able to get this much for this one and this one for this one. And, and why aren't they getting this much for this? And how come Balogun's only worth this when Hoyland is worth that and all this stuff? It's very simple. Someone's got to want to buy your player and got to offer you money. You can you can value them as as highly as you want, but if somebody doesn't turn up and want that player enough to part with bigish money, absolutely nothing you can do about it. No, quite. Um, well, let's like say we wish him all the best, Adrian. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I like. I really like him. <laughs> what well, it slightly surprised me, obviously, with Timber being injured, that 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 this is happening. It makes me wonder whether we're going to to bring in someone else that that can play and cover that role. Because again, look, I'm, I don't want to be too critical of Zinchenko because Zinchenko is a player I love. I love watching him, um, but you know, defensively towards the end of last season, he struggled. And the corner against Fulham. Was... Yeah, Kieran was seen as the safer guy in terms of if you want a proper defender in there, Kieran Kieran is the one. And obviously Timber usurped him for that, but now he's not around. It was a sloppy error on his part to give the ball away that, that led to the corner that, that cost us that point. So I don't think that Zinni is a cast iron, has to play every every game kind of player at, at the moment. Not until he, he his form is consistently better so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sad but it's a good chance for Kieran Tierney to revive his career Adrian with your tactical head on Zinchenko when he came on yesterday and sort of decided to run the midfield it was mm. re- a massive part of the uh, it was good <laughs> the, the swing in the game yeah but then then came the error which was a fairly significant part in it going back towards <laughs> one so my question is is there a way that Arsenal can play where Zinchenko is a bit like with Granite um, when suddenly he was playing further up the field so he wasn't making those mistakes that he made further back? Mm. 
Is there something we're missing here that he could or should be playing in a slightly different role, which doesn't expose him, but but uses all his good qualities? Because that's kind yeah. of where my head's at. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, I think I think I think it's a brilliant point, and. I can just picture him in that position, <laughs> linking up with with Martinelli and whoever's up front, Jesus or Enketier, and yeah, it's bang on. I, I think I, he plays that position for his country. He plays in central midfield yeah. for, for Ukraine, so he can he can absolutely do it. Um, he needs to be better at the defensive side of the game and and not give the ball away inside our defensive third as as often as he as he does actually. To, to is he really... going to change now? <laughs> you know, you're saying he's... I, I just... Th- you know, you're not looking at a, a young, mouldable player anymore. You're looking kid. at a, a, no. a highly evolved and experienced technician who has his strengths and weaknesses. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know if that's something you can eliminate. A bit like Granite. It was like, Granite is Granite. And there was a... So we're going to sign a, a left back then. Go... So we're going to sign a left back well, before no, the I end mean, of the window. I mean, we're going to push Shinchenko to Maybe, maybe but I, I don't know. It's just... It just was something that kind of went through my mind. He could be sensational in that role, in my opinion. Because think about the progressive passes. From mm. that position, you're looking for passes in beyond the inside fullbacks, aren't you? Either for a striker or for a wide player. You, we're talking about chemistry and cohesion and one and two touch play that's missing. Zinchenko, when he's when he's sharp and on it, he's brilliant at that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm buying in, Amy. I'm buying into that tactical uh, switch. <laughs> Can I just interject at this point and saying you, you're saying that he'd be great in that role that Kai Havertz and Fabio Vieira are currently <laughs> fighting over? Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, just as long as we're clear on that. Um, before before we uh, go, uh, if you've listened to this pod uh, the whole way through, it's the Charles Are You an Athletic subscriber, so you will know that we are doing a live show. Uh, you can get early bird access to the tickets. Uh, we'll be at Leicester Square Theatre in London uh, on Wednesday the 15th of November. Uh, the public tickets go on sale on August 31st. Uh, so uh, if you are a subscriber, take your Take advantage of your chance to get in early now. Go to leicestersquaretheatre.com forward slash handbrake dash off uh, to get uh, the tickets. They're already going, by the way. Well done. Thank you very much. We'll see you on the 15th of November. Uh, let's have a song before we go. Adrian, what you got? <laughs> Bad starts, too many goals conceded in the first minute. That's that's my sort of theme. So I'm saying uh, wake by? up by the vamps. <laughs> wake up. Right, <laughs> we need okay, to wake yeah. up at the start of matches. So, uh, yeah, the vamps brought out a track called Wake Up. So that's, that's the one for me. So wake up. I'm going for something for Bukayo. Um, is it Because, you know, sometimes when songs just suddenly, bing, you know, come into your head out of nowhere and remind you of something. Uh, it's Simple Minds and a song called New Gold Dream off uh, that album. And the, 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 the chorus goes, 81, 82, 83, 84. 81. And it's just his numbers of consecutive games going on and on and on and on. 
<laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. Fair play, Bukaya. Uh, I'm having changes by David Bowie. Bowie, an artist I admired enormously. I think most of us did. And uh, for him, it was all about changes. Just kept reinventing himself. And that is what you have to do. If you're not moving forward, you're going backwards, right? So uh, we have to embrace this change, <laughs> the, the changes, whatever they might be, even if once in a while they result in drop points at home to mid-table. That's like one of those motivational tra- posters. So if you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. It's I know, like, hang I on. know. You, you're, you, you're failing to take account of lots of people who just do, just stay where they are. Cause, you know, I agree, but that's not... That's, <laughs> no, I I, abs- I absolutely agree. But this this is all this team is all about progression and change, and that is what uh, you know. That's what we've seen the last three seasons. So uh, I applaud the um, the um, intention, if not necessarily Saturday's result. Can I say that? Um, this is uh, that's it for handbreak off. Uh, thanks to uh, Amy Lawrence. Thanks to Adrian Clark. And thanks to Abby who produced us uh, all the way from Australia. Uh, thanks for jumping in from your um, uh, Frisbee club, as <laughs> she told us before, uh, to come and produce the show. And thank you for listening. Sorry about the voice. I'll get it back for Thursday or Friday whenever we're next on air. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. See ya. Hello listeners, if you're someone who is just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning, we have something for you. The Daily Football Briefing brings you bang up to date with the biggest football stories in just over 10 minutes. Whether it's David Ornstein on the latest big signing or Matt Slater on a takeover saga that won't go away, we'll bring you right up to speed all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual platforms And make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.